politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast on this Tuesday, November 26th, right before Thanksgiving. This will be our last show until next week. Um, I know I will hear all the groans in the background, uh, proverbially speaking. Uh, But look, we all need a break, and I wanted to give our D.C. office a break tomorrow. So we're going to try to pack in a lot in today's show. And look, I am thankful to all of you for just a terrific year. Uh, We could not have done this without you. That's why I need you to spread the word. Go to YouTube or iTunes, like and rate our videos. The more they're rated, the more they'll do better in, in Google search. And, you know, for all of you pulling your hair out wondering, why no one else knows about what's going on in the country that actually matters, why nothing's being done. Look, we're still at the first step, which is you got to get the information out to people. And uh, that's why I need you to spread this around if you are a fan of this program. Um, So a lot to go over on culture and immigration, how our most beautiful rural counties, rural communities are being turned into Salvadoran and Mexican hellholes. Drug trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, drunk driving. All because of greedy agricultural lobbyists that want tomatoes for 10 cents cheaper. So it's worth turning our rural areas in some places into uh, towns and and counties that are sometimes eventually going to be worse than even our urban areas. You know, we have a lot of problems in our urban areas with jailbreak that we have talked about so much. Chicago, Philly, New York, Baltimore, lots of cities are having problems uh, because we don't believe in prison anymore in this country, at least at a political elite level. Well, where do we turn? Where do we turn um, to become our own refugees in our own country from this stuff? Well, you turn to the rural areas. Uh, since I've really was a kid i i fell in love with rural america um even though i live near a big city it's something uh, i hope to do if i ever get enough money to get a second home somewhere in a mountainous rural area to kind of get away from everything but now you know you could go to a place that seems beautiful sparsely populated um no crime and you could bump into the most vicious mexican cartel traffickers or you could be killed on the road there by a drunk driver who happens to be an illegal alien that blends in because there's a meatpacking plant, there's a tomato farm, there's a chicken farm, or you know, on the rural coastal areas, there's um, fishing uh, uh, businesses that only hire illegal aliens. And well, they bring with them the culture that they um that they have uh adopted in their home countries and and look i say this often but just to demonstrate how america is more than simply a spreadsheet you know some dollar signs on a spreadsheet america is about more than driving down the price of tomatoes an extra 10 cents I always say on this program, we're not nationalists. Nationalists 
are people that believe in blood and soil over individual liberty, the rights of the individual and, and, and the family and God. We don't make a religion out of a nation. But you do need, in order to be a patriot, you do need somewhat of a unifying, harmonious culture and a civil society to guard those individual liberties. Okay? And we've noted this many times that Madison articulated that we should only welcome immigrants who would assimilate and who would um, uh, incorporate himself into our society. That's a quote from, from Madison. Theodore Sedgwick in 1790, congressman from Massachusetts. The citizens of America prefer this country because it is to be preferred. The like principle he wished might be held by every man who came from Europe to reside here. But there was at least some grounds to fear the contrary. Their sensations impregnated with prejudices of education acquired under monarchical and aristocratical governments may deprive them of that zest for pure republicanism, which is necessary in order to taste its beneficence with that gratitude, which we feel on the occasion. He was talking about Europeans, people that came from similar backgrounds that our founders came from, not Mayan um, indigenous populations that don't know how to use a toilet, that have sex with a two-year-old, and we're going to get to that in a minute, uh, that, that drive drunk, that, that traffic drugs for the cartels. And again, many Americans get into drugs too, but as we're going to see, the point is that the illegal immigrant labor communities serve as the pipeline, the conduit, for the cartels to get their stuff in and have networks um, thrive in perpetuity. Because you know, typically for law enforcement, you would see, if you start seeing suspicious Hispanic-looking individuals in these areas, not that there aren't tr a lot of tremendously good Hispanics, but automatically that's somewhat of a giveaway. But now it's become normal because they're there on the farms. Now, um, you know, ju just to reiterate a couple more quotes before we get into the specifics, just the philosophy behind what we're demonstrating here is um, George Washington said in a letter to John Adams, uh, emphasizing just the need to absorb, that immigrants need to absorb American life. So that, quote, by an intermixture with our people, they of, or their descendants get assimilated to our customs, measures, laws, and a word soon become one people. Um, Hamilton wrote that the safety of the republic depends essentially on the energy of a common national sentiment on a uniformity of principles and, and habits. Um, and uh, he talked about, you know, the problems of, of foreigners, large number of foreigners into national mass by promoting in different uh, uh, classes of uh, di different predilections in favor of particular foreign nations, antipathies against each other. Um, it divides our communities. And he notes that the survival of the American Republic depends upon, quote, the preservation of a national spirit and a national character. To admit foreigners indiscriminately to the rights of citizens the moment they put foot in our country would be nothing less than to admit the Grecian horse into the citadel of our liberty and sovereignty. Again, all these conversations about wages and labor, oh, we need this, we need that. 
What people don't understand that's that's happening in our country is we have the urban interests that they want the ethnic front groups and just for all sorts of reasons, they want to bring in endless numbers of foreign nationals and certainly certainly illegal aliens. And we we have you know MS-13 in a lot of urban areas. But then you have the rural areas where the agricultural lobbies get even Freedom Caucus type of members to support either be weak on illegal immigration or now they can't really do that because of the way our politics are and Trump and everything. So they're all for these guest worker programs. Now, guest workers are better than illegal immigrants in the sense that at least you could vet them to a certain extent. But it's the same problem. America is worth more than having, you know, a 10% reduction in, in the cost of picking uh, crops. A lot of it's mechanized now anyway. Is it really worth the price of tomatoes and lettuce to bring in a culture of child molestation, of drug trafficking, of, of drinking and driving? You know, I'll never forget what um, Jessica Vaughn of Center for Immigration Studies said when she was on the show here that um, this was Halifax, Virginia, South Central Virginia, which we're going to talk about as one of the areas that's overrun by agricultural workers that are illegal aliens. So one um, gang investigator for Virginia State Troopers said, quote, people love these illegal workers during the day, but it's at night when they cause all the problems to me. And uh, Jessica always talks about how, you know, whenever they're caught doing horrible things, the employer inevitably says, I don't know, they're such good workers, they work so hard. Well, they also work at crime very hard too. And that's the thing. This is what we're bringing in to our communities. We had on, on the show on Friday, Alabama's Attorney General, Stephen Marshall, who prior to being Attorney General, he was the DA in Marshall County, um, this is where you have Guntersville, just a town of 8,000 people. I think it might be the largest town in the county. The whole county is less than 100,000 people. So he was DA there for 16 years, and he noted that 80% of those that were arrested for drug trafficking were illegal aliens. And it's not surprising. That's where you have chicken farms in that part of Alabama. And as a result of having these whorish ag lobbies bring in illegal aliens, now they get to bring in more. Remember we talked about the unaccompanied alien minors that are trafficked by their parents who are ag workers to bring them in who themselves are illegal. They have them reunited at our expense. Marshall County, I looked up, it has the second highest per capita uh, infestation of UACs of any county in um, Alabama other than Jefferson, which is the big Birmingham county, which would be more expected. So, you know, that that's what's happening there. A nice county, picturesque. You have a lot of um, caverns there, uh, nice state parks in that area. At any point, you could run into these punks. And we noted that that guy, Felipe Juan Miguel, who was working at one of these interests, recently came from Guatemala, was um, arrested for child molestation. 
This is what we're bringing into our worst areas. If, 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 we, if we don't preserve our rural areas, what do we have? What do we have? And, and this is just not talked about enough. And that's the thing. If you have more stories on how rural America is being destroyed by the ag lobby with all sorts of criminal and social problems, email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. This is going to be an obsession of ours. Because this really speaks to the foundation of who we are. America is more than a spreadsheet. It's more than a corporation. I am all for trying to get the cheapest products and services. But I'm just saying, let's say we um, have some sort of uh, computer program that has a bunch of input and, and data and algorithms that, that show us that the Hushaluku tribe in some far-flung corner of the world would give us the most work output for the cheapest labor. But the hukulukus happen to be extremely violent, happen to uh, regularly engage with, in, in sex with two-year-olds, um, and tend to get drunk and, and traffic drugs and bring all sorts of social problems and unrest into our communities. Is it worth it? And this is what some of these Freedom Caucus and otherwise Republican members need to understand. Oh, these people are telling me the interest. They're telling me we need more labor. But you need to speak directly to your constituents about the dangers that they're, that they're um, perpetrating on these communities, and then it becomes a different discussion. But until then, the reason why we are where we are in America now is because you have the urban areas run by the left. So they're always going to support, in this day and age, open borders. But then the problem is, where are the more conservative members elected from? Well, it's going to be rural areas. That's where we have the albatross of the ag lobby. Now, yesterday, many of you have emailed me this story, and I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same wavelength looking at the same stories. And thank you for that, those of you who emailed it to me. Um, but now it's, it's gone viral. There's this article written by um, Beth Warren in the Louisville... Courier Journal, owned by the USA Today. And uh, Beth Warren has a very in-depth article on the CJNG cartel run by El Mencho. And, she, and basically the thesis was how El Mencho now has networks in every corner of America, but particularly rural Kentucky, and they highlighted other rural areas in, in Missouri, in, in Virginia, all 50 states that are just turning America's paradise into drug trafficking hellholes that are not only creating sinister drug houses, drug stockpiles, and related crime in rural areas, but are killing thousands of Americans. 300,000 Americans since 2013, at least, have died from drug overdoses. Almost all of them are not prescription drugs. They're not painkillers. They're drugs trafficked by the, the cartels, mainly fentanyl, but increasingly meth and, and cocaine. Meth in the rural areas, cocaine in the, in the urban areas. And uh, this is something that, that our body politic and the media were pulling our hair out. What are we going to do? What could we do about it? But the one thing that will actually solve the problem, or at least inhibit the problem, mitigate the problem, which is actually enforcing our sovereignty and immigration laws, interior enforcement, and the proper border security. We don't do. 
We won't talk about it. And that's the cuteness of this article. It's thorough, it's riveting, it's detailed, it's well-researched. A lot of time went into it. But this article by Beth Warren, it glosses over the 800-pound gorilla in the room, although it mentions it glancingly and gives away the farm, no pun intended, of how these agricultural corporate farms are bringing in mass numbers of illegal immigrants, although she calls them plain immigrants. And in the process, they bring in conduits for CJNG and the other cartels. It's funny how she stumbles upon it, but, but misses the point. Misses the point. So let's, let's read a little bit here. Now, she talks about they have an established cell, CJNG, in South Central Virginia. I just talked about that from Jessica Vaughn. She, she has mentioned that. Um, and they're popping up in communities as small as Axton. That's in Virginia. Now, here we go. In cases in which immigrants resist the cartel's offer, CJNG members often threaten violence to them or their loved ones back in Mexico, according to court cases and law enforcement officials. Sheriff's investigators say a Paducah, Kentucky business owner who fell behind on a drug debt was warned last year by the cartel, if we don't get our money, we're going to kill you and your family. The cartel's expansion to smaller, unexpected communities began to mushroom about five years ago Five years ago, what date is that? 2014, we talk about that so often. As U.S. intelligence analysts tracked its movements far beyond border towns and major hubs, smaller towns, smaller police forces, more unchecked opportunities. Quote, big cities have big police departments and DEA, FBI, Homeland Security investigations and an ability to look at intelligence and focus on their cells and contacts, says the DEA's uh, Donahue. But, it, but it's a little different when you go to Boise, Idaho and other small towns where they don't have the resources to really focus on an international cartel. Americans who may not know of CJNG today should take note, Dodd said. This is another investigator. I promise you will hear more about El Mincho. And notice how they kind of gloss over why. You're right, small towns have a harder time. And there's not enough resources. But they're missing one step, but inadvertently talk about immigrants. So a couple things here. One of the things she doesn't talk about is a phenomenon we talked about on this show when we really delved into the border crisis earlier this year, and that is so many of those who are coming here are very poor. They can't pay the peso to the cartels. So what do they do? They promise to engage in the drug trafficking for their networks. So often, so she tries to portray them as victims. Now, sometimes they're willingly doing it. Sometimes they're being exploited. And she uses the term exploited. She's right. But here's the deal. We don't need to have illegal aliens in these communities. We shouldn't be bringing them in. So therefore, if we wouldn't bring them in, the cartels wouldn't have a way to blend in. I, I, I spoke over the phone. I didn't have time to get an on-the-record comment from him, but I could tell you, you know, basically what he said. Robert Murphy, the special agent in charge of DEA in Atlanta, I called him and, and he said exactly the word blend uses it, used in this article. Um, how how basically they uh, they use these people to to blend in to to different communities. Where is this here? Let me just find this. Um, well, I'll, I'll get to that later. But um, 
she uses the word blend, this Warren uh, reporter. And he said, exactly, that's exactly the point. If you don't have the agricultural interests attracting, attracting illegal aliens, you don't have illegal aliens in these communities because they wouldn't otherwise be there. They would be in New York City. They would be in the big cities. So, and if they would be there, they would stick out like a sore thumb. Now, well, okay, that's an ag worker. Well, yeah, he might be an ag worker, but guess what he's doing at night? And that is how El Mincho and, and, and Chapo's network and all these people screw us over. But also the desperation. This is what we don't realize. Oh, these cute illegals coming to the border. The desperation that they have to pay off the debt. It's not at the border. You see it in rural Kentucky and rural Virginia and everywhere. That's where you're seeing it. And you're seeing it in the death of 300,000 Americans from drugs. What's amazing here is that the poster child for the thesis of her article is Ciro Macias Martinez, a guy um, that worked on a, on a farm in Kentucky that is responsible for some of the best thoroughbred horses that are in the heart of Kentucky's horse country. And she's trying to show like this is a great horse groomer and like right in the heart of an industry. And he was running a $30 million heroin trafficking network, heroin, cocaine, ecstasy, crystal meth, and fentanyl, um, really single-handedly responsible for so many deaths in Lex Lexington and Louisville, um, working directly for, for CJNG. And, um, you know, probably responsible for, uh, Kentucky has over 1,500 fatalities every year now from drugs. There amid the lush pastures and white rail fences, a Mexican immigrant with a sinister secret quietly groomed prized thoroughbreds at historic <clears throat> Colome Farm, according to court records. And um, here's the deal. He wasn't an immigrant, Miss Warren. If you look at the Department of Justice website, on the indictment and the sentencing of this guy, you know, a year, two, three years ago when this happened, 2017, 2018, they say he was an illegal alien. Glossed over in the story. Otherwise, good story. But glosses over the most important elements. You know, she talks about how immigrants are, you know, they're worried that they're being stigmatized, I guess, by people like me, you know. Oh, it's not their fault. Oh, it's so sad. But she gives away the farm that they're doing it. So, oh, they have to pay off debt. Okay, you, you, whatever it is, but they're doing it. It's funny how she, you know, if you, you could read the whole article and it's there in her article, but she doesn't recognize it, that the 800 pound gorilla in the room is that Oh, that, that the ag lobby has brought in endless communities of illegal aliens plopped into Norman Rockwell's America, turning it into an El Salvadoran, a Mexican hellhole. And that serves as the conduit for that criminality. CJNG couldn't do this if you didn't have the day laborers. And that's the thing. Rather than trying to pull our hair out and figure out Oh, how do we deal with this? How do we do this? 
oh, we need to have social work and the police deal with the. No, we don't have to deal with that. Get them out of here. This is 100% avoidable. The crux of the drug crisis is 100% avoidable. We've tried everything in the war on drugs except for the one thing that would work. Getting the traffickers out of here using immigration law. You don't have to convict them, have these expensive investigations, try to land a conviction. They're here illegally, out, done. The population would dry up. You'd hire American workers, and that's it. It would be so much harder and more expensive and arduous and so much easier to disrupt if they would have to rely solely on Americans at the primary trafficking level. That is what you are being lied to about the drug crisis. But I'm telling you, it's, it's killing our rural communities as well as inner cities. And, and that's just particularly sad given how, you know, the, you know, the problems we have in our, our inner cities. And again, we, we talked about last week how Brian Ishmael, uh, El Dorado County, California sheriff's deputy, was ambushed by an illegal alien at a marijuana growing farm for the cartels. Nice rural area in El Dorado. I know we have some listeners from there. Um, it's gone to hell. And you could you could be hiking in a forest and enjoying yourself there, and you could stumble into the most violent cartel people. The local sheriff put it best there. If you allow criminally-minded illegal aliens to infiltrate our communities with more protections than our average citizens, they will take advantage of that and victimize our communities. Well, what allows them to infiltrate? It's big ag. That's what it is. If you don't have that, then, then they're out of here. There's no problem. And as we've said before, I'll read it again from our friends at... Um, Illegal alien uh, crime. I believe that's a website, legalaliencrime.com. Acoma County, Virginia, is one of the two counties on the eastern shore, isolated from the rest of the, 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 the state. Three out of the eight most wanted. You think, uh, again, nice rural count, town, quaint towns, Luis Alberto Vaquez Zunun wanted for rape. Juarez Dolmen Barrios wanted for attempted robbery. And Jose Zuniga wanted for aggravated sexual battery. And already, I mean, this was already in 2005. And you can imagine certainly, you know, 14 years later, after bringing in all these laborers with the fishing industry and the farming there, um, there's a DUI uh, epidemic there. The Virginia pilot ran a headline, Hispanic laborers driving unregistered vehicles have caused scores of Eastern Shore traffic deaths. They found just from 2002 to 2004, 179 accidents involving Hispanic laborers. Three-fourths of the drivers had no auto insurance. Um, nearly, nearly all the vehicles driven by migrants and other laborers were registered under other names. And the number of injuries per accident was about 50% higher than the statewide average because, again, these people are, um, are stone drunk. You know, so when you compare it to a pool of other accidents, it's going to be worse because, you know, accidents are usually accidents. These are on purpose because they're stone drunk. And that's part of the culture. So it's not just the drug trafficking. 
it is um it's also the sexual assaults the duis and and speaking of sexual assaults i've been meaning to get to this um for the last couple of days talk about what we're doing to rural america sexual assaults um the just cultural problems cultural problems do we really want to bring this there this is a horrendous story but it's like again Naples Daily News, it is something that is is really worth your full read, and we're going to try to read some of it here. It's another one of these stories where it's what Rush used to call random journalism, where they actually do a good job reporting it, but the point that they make the most subtle is really the main enchilada, and it's kind of lost on the authors. Um that we are basically paying for the rope to hang ourselves and this doesn't need to happen. Language barrier in Southwest Florida's growing Mayan community hinders justice for toddler's brutal rape. A child's cry pierced the trailer home before dawn. The sound awoke. A teenage girl, one of the Guatemalan immigrants, crowded into the four-bedroom trailer in a farm worker community an hour outside Naples. She opened the bathroom door to see a man holding a toddler. Both had blood running down their legs. The 16-year-old rushed back to the room she shares with her boyfriend and locked the door. Soon the knocking began. It had to be the man, she thought. She didn't dare open it. Worried he would hurt her, she didn't know how to contact police. And again, they, they make it almost like, oh, it's like we need to help them. They, they can't report crimes within their community. Well, why are we importing illegal alien farm workers to have terrible crimes and terrible, decrepit, middle-aged culture that these people are literally in the 12th century. These people don't even speak Spanish. They're not even Hispanic. They're Mayan. But again, a lot of the Guatemalans that recently came in are Mayan. And you know, you know, when you see the, 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 the pictures of them pouring over the border, hundreds at a time surrendering to border agents, Remember, this is where they went. You're like, hey, I'm glad I don't live in New York City. I'm glad I don't live in L.A. No, they're in rural areas. They're in the, in, in the farming areas, and they're bringing this culture with them. Like others in the trailer, the teen had arrived in the Immokalee community only months earlier from Huentinago, a rural and impoverished region of Guatemala, where ancient Mayan languages are still spoken. Her primary language was the Mayan language, mom. Okay? Authorities said the language barrier has stymied the hunt for the attacker. More than a month later, no one has been arrested for the rape, which was so brutal, the toddler needed, uh, needs multiple reconstructive surgeries. Two-year-old. The crime reveals how language and culture can hinder justice. In Southwest Florida in the last 15 years, other high-profile crimes, a slavery case in Cape Corral, Coral, um, nice area, and a child bride case in Bonita Springs were concealed were concealed for a year or longer within the Guatemalan community even when authorities were involved girls were the victims it took months for authorities to make an arrest in last month's rape in Immokalee the toddler's father Hector Gabriel Jimenez was arrested November 7th on a fel felony child neglect charge he told Collier County Sheriff's deputies he brought the child with him from Guatemala um, if he brought the girl with him to ease immigration he 
would be just one case in a surge of so-called family units arriving the southwestern border since 2018. Folks, this is the face of the border crisis that Republicans and even the Trump administration has failed to give over to the American people. This is how every rural community has become a border town. Whereas we have the worst of our criminal elements in our urban areas, we are now bringing the worst that other countries' criminal and cultural elements have to offer into our rural areas. So when you hear this debate over, oh, we need more labor, this is what you get. The father and child, as well as the teenage couple and many others in Immokalee, are part of a growing immigration wave from Guatemala to southwest Florida. So southeast Florida has been inundated. Now we get the West Coast. Many come from rural Guatemala for agricultural work in, uh, in Immokalee, an epicenter of winter tomato production in the United States. The Guatemalan population in Collier and Lee counties has swelled from about 3,000 in, in the year 2000 to 14,000 in 2015, according to the census. You wonder what it is now. There are, there are signs, many of them are Mayan, a people who have long faced poverty, violence, and discrimination. Spanish is taught in schools, but many indigenous people speak a Mayan language at home. So ironically, they come here to learn Spanish. Just in the last three months, interpretation for a Mayan language was required for 70, 70 Collier and Lee Circuit Court cases. The two most commonly needed were Mom and Kunjabal, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Nationwide, three of the 20-plus Mayan languages ranked in or near the top 10 most common languages spoken last year in U.S. immigration courts. So there's multiple languages, too. It's not any one. So yet there's a scarcity of professional Mayan interpreters. In the Makali case, authorities had to fly in an interpreter from California to learn enough to file an arrest warrant of the father. Um... So basically, in 2014, her network had about 10 interpreters translating in four Mayan languages. Now she has more than 50 interpreters translated, translating in 22 Mayan languages. So, so this is what we have to spend resources on. Also, these stupid agricultural interests could go and have their, their 10 cent cheaper tomatoes. This is what we need to deal with. Look, just like a marriage, when you have a fight with your wife, you got to deal with that. You got to work it out. It's your wife. If you're in a relationship that's not a marriage, you know, if it's bad, you don't have to work it out. You let it go. We have to deal with our own criminals, our own cultural problems, of which we have many. But we don't need to import the most primitive, problematic cultures of every area of the globe and then suddenly have to spend money dealing with the criminal investigations, the language interpretations, the drug trafficking, the DUIs, the raping of two-year-olds. What in, the, what in the world are we doing? And, and here's the deal. You know, people call me names, call me racist, but left-wing organizations, NGOs, Girls Not Brides, it's the name of, of, of an NGO, has all sorts of information. We've spoken it out. We have a lot of articles on this of how there is a tremendous cultural problem among many in the Mayan community with child sex. That, that's just, it's not a criminal act. It's normally what they do. You'll have a 20-year-old taking an eight-year-old girl and, and whatever. That's just what they do. And they'll, they'll explain it openly the same way I do. But somehow, when you import tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of these people to our communities, what, somehow that goes out the window? Somehow it's no longer a problem? Somehow you're not allowed to talk about it? You're able to talk about how they need help in their home countries, but somehow 
Well, I guess now they are talking about it, how they need help. But what no one's asking is, why should we tolerate this? Whoever voted for this? And, and why, why should the American taxpayer be on the hook for this? And why are we turning our rural, beautiful, um, less populated counties into, in some ways, cesspools that are worse than, than our urban areas? Do we really need this? Do we really need this? And of course, they, they, they throw in like as if it's our fault. Oh, they're scared of deportation, so they're scared to report crimes. But why are we bringing in illegal aliens to commit crimes that therefore need to be reported? Deport them all, which needs to be the case under current law. And I got news for you. You won't have any crime and therefore you won't have any language barrier in investigating and reporting the crimes. How about that? For a novel idea. It's just unbelievable. I mean, these left-wing reporters just don't get it. Or maybe they do, but um, they want to gloss over the key elements. It's just funny when you have this stuff. Um, and anyway, I mean, it, it's horrendous. They talk about this, this crime of this um, two-year-old. Talk about a community in pain. It's a very long article here. Um, But uh, what do you have here? More workers have been sending wages to Guatemala in the past five years. About 80% of the money goes to Guatemala, 20% to Mexico. In the past, the percentage was flipped. So now we have Guatemala. So Mexican culture wasn't primitive enough for us. We had to bring in the Mayans and... um, And they talk about all oh, help, we, how we need to help. I, I just don't understand. We have a homeless problem in America. We have a lot of our big cities with crime and, and homelessness. I have tons more jailbreak stories for you, too. We're not going to get to today. Why are we doing this? Who voted for this? Our laws uh, preclude this. The foundational law in 1986 that agreed to amnesty for one time was premised on making it illegal to work here. And now we're like open about it. Yeah, they come to work like as if it's okay. And therefore they bring in all these problems. They bring in all these problems. This is one of the most systemically devastating problems to our republic. Remember, Madison, Sedgwick, they talked about people fit for our society, blended into our society. They talked about the need for people to incorporate themselves into our society. Preservation of a national spirit and a national character, as Hamilton spoke of. What are we doing to ourselves here? What are we doing? I don't know. On that note, (laughs) just want to end off with a little bit more of an uplifting note on a positive note. Um, You know, in honor of Thanksgiving, I wish we could have done an entire Thanksgiving show. But, uh, you know, we'll have to just suffice with today. Um, You know, despite everything, despite all of our problems, it's important to recognize 
All of these problems are man-made. They're because of our decrepit political elites. It's not because of God. We have a lot to be thankful to God um, this, this Thanksgiving. We really do. Um, I'm going to have an article out in honor of Thanksgiving just talking about the bounty. If you look at our food, you look at our energy supply. We've turned away from God as a nation, but God continues to smile upon us. It's almost like he's begging us to repent, giving us one last chance. And um, he just gives us so much, so much good. So much, um, so much blessing in this country. The, the, the degree of prosperity and material wealth is really unrivaled for all of our complaints. But that is part of the problem. It's like Deuteronomy 32. And Jeshurun became fat and rebelled. You grew fat, thick, and rotund. Israel forsook the God who made them and spurned the mighty rock of their salvation. That's what happens. We've gotten so fat because of God's blessings that we've forgotten him. We forgot to include him in our lives. Our spiritual wealth didn't grow with our material wealth, as, as Calvin Coolidge always spoke about in his Thanksgiving um, addresses, his Thanksgiving proclamations. And that's our problem. And because we're so happy and fat, A, we turn away from God, but B, I think too many of us are not spurned to, to, to action. At the end of the day, some of this is still too abstract. We all have our iPhones. We're all fat and happy. We have the world's fattest poor people. Everyone's got a car. Everyone's got an iPhone. It was funny how Heather McDonald, when we had her on the phone, when she went to San Francisco to the vagrancy community and reported on the homelessness, she noted how even the mentally ill homeless people seem to be very adept to bartering on their iPhones for different goods. <laughs> that, that, that's how much material wealth and, and technology we, we have in these days. It's amazing reading uh, Calvin Coolidge's message on Thanksgiving 100 years ago and, and thinking back 100 years later, the material wealth we have. Um, 1924, he noted, the year has been marked by a continuation of peace whereby our country has entered into a relationship of better understanding with all other nations on earth. Um, he talks about the production of our industries has been large and our harvests have been bountiful. We've been remarkably free from disorder and remarkably successful in all our pursuits, which flourished during a slate of uh, domestic peace. An abundant prosperity has overspread the land. We shall do well to accept all these favors and bounties with a becoming humility and, and uh, dedicate them to the service of the righteous cause of the giver of all good and perfect gifts. Um, as, an, as the nation has prospered, let all the people show that they are worthy to prosper, to rededicating America to the service of God and man. And he continuously talked about that in his subsequent, um, you know, things. He said in a year later, 1925, as we have grown and prospered in material things, so also should we progress in moral and spiritual things. We are a God-fearing people. We should set ourselves against evil, strive for righteousness and living. And ultimately, in 1928, his final um, proclamation. 
It is most becoming that we should do this for the goodness and mercy of God, which have followed us through the year, deserve our grateful recognition and acknowledgement. Through his divine favor, peace and tranquility have reigned throughout the land. He has protected our country as a whole against pestilence and disaster and has directed us in the ways of national prosperity. Our fields have been abundantly productive. Our industries have flourished. Our commerce has increased. Wages have been lucrative and comfort and contentment have followed the undisturbed pursuit of honest toil. You know, you think you think 100 years later, if you just look at our farming, just since 1948, I believe, from 1948 to 2015, 2015 according to the Department of Agriculture, our uh, farm output has increased by 170%, and that is with less input, less labor, less input, less land cultivated. Um, I mean, you want to talk about abundance. We have something like a surplus of 2.5 billion pounds of meat, 1.2 billion pounds of cheese and, and butter. Uh, we throw out 40% of our food. We throw out 150,000 tons of food or tons or pounds. I'm forgetting. That makes a big difference. I know it will be in my, my article per day. Uh, my gosh. I mean, we, we have it all. We have it all. But as Calvin Coolidge noted at the time, as we have prospered in material things, so we have also grown and expanded in things spiritual. Through divine inspiration, we have enlarged our charities and our missions. We have been imbued with high ideals which have operated for the benefit of the world and the promotion of the brotherhood of man through peace and goodwill. That's the problem. That's the problem. Our spiritual wealth has not grown commensurate with our material wealth like it did in the past. Now, that, ha that hasn't dissuaded God from giving us these blessings. But as we seek his guidance and his, and, um, and his countenance for more favors, more blessings, we really have to look inward to see how we return to God and also just materially how we wake ourselves up from this drunken stupor, this drunken slumber from being so happy and fat and wealthy to actually deal with the in injustices that are taking place with our values, our culture, our laws, our policies, not adhering to our laws. We have to fight as if our lives and our prosperity depend upon it, even though thanks to modern technology and really God's blessings, increasingly, it seemingly doesn't because we get wealthy no matter what. But that will come to an end one day, either from natural causes or from God suspending his blessings. But I want to end off by saying I'm thankful to God for the fact that despite so many things wrong with our body politic or our, our laws or policies, we still do have freedom of speech. I still have this microphone that I can get in front of you and speak the unvarnished truth and literally not hold back anything that's in my heart. There really is no other place where we could do that. We need to preserve that. And most of all, I'm thankful to each and every one of you. 
um, for indulging a 30 something, no, no name guy like me, uh, that you're interested in what I have to say. And you're interested in finding the truth that is not being supplied by other people in this industry. That's not being focused on enough. And without you guys, I'd be nothing. You know, we, we've made a lot, of, a, a lot of progress this year. There's a lot of talk about Jared Kushner being in charge of a wall. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. But a lot of things are improving on that front. On the border front, the president gradually is listening to more of what we have to say. I think this audience certainly played a role in that. Um, you've also supplied me with a lot of good case studies from areas that you live in that I wouldn't have otherwise seen, some of these cr criminal alien cases. And we're going to find a way to double down on that, take this to the next level in the final month of this year, the coming year. But most of all, we need to pray for God's guidance that he continue to bless this country. But what that takes at the end of the day is our own initiative to grow in spiritual wealth. You know, the, the funny thing is that God is in control of everything except for one thing, and that is your own free will to serve God, to fear God. God could give you material wealth. He could give this country material wealth. He can't bless this country with spiritual wealth. Now, if you turn to God, you could also pray that he makes it easier, easier to return to him. But you got to take that initiative. And that's really what we need. We need a revival in this country. Because without that, either God will stop blessing us or the blessing itself, as it always does, becomes a curse. Because material wealth is only a source of prosperity when it is funneled through a conduit, through a vessel of spiritual wealth. And that's really what we need in this season of giving. I hope you guys enjoy your time with your family, um, with your community, family, faith, God. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. Country, have a blessed Thanksgiving. Let's continue corresponding throughout the week. I'm not going away. We'll still have some written content, but uh, I think we'll all enjoy the break. And we'll see you again on the other side. God bless you all.